Ah, there is Carlo from the movie loot. He's gone to the best schools in the city. He's had the finest training I could get him. Movies and podcasting. He's sat with me evenings on end. I've tried to make conversation with him and give him some social presence and adeptness. I've given him freedom wherever I could. The result is what you see. An entirely mediocre and defenseless creature with not a shred of poise. You got five seconds to tell me where you buried the loot. Where's the loot? I don't, I don't know who's got the loot. I don't know if anybody's got the loot. Hello looters, welcome to the Movie Loot, the podcast where we share the best, greatest, most entertaining and or weirdest film loot you could find. My name is Carlo and we'll be sharing the loot today. This is episode 60, the April loot. But before we get down to business, let's talk a bit about our latest episodes. Last month, we released episode 58, The Marsh Loot, where we talk about the films I saw in March, but also look back at the Oscars. My friend Latin Jukebox at Rocola del Rolo tweeted, Just listen to the latest episode from the Movie Loot. The Puerto Rican Connection section is hilarious. Great review from the Oscars 2022. Five-star episode in Good Pots and Pot Chaser. Thanks, my friend, for all the support. Make sure you check out the Latin Jukebox podcast as well. Then last week, we released episode 59, The Nostalgic Loot, where me and my friend Darren Lomberg from the Nostalgia Cast podcast talk about nostalgia in films and how to process it and consider it when watching films. Is it a valid point of reference and criticism? And we also shared five films each that were nostalgic about from different phases in our life. My friend Pete from the Middle Class Film Class podcast said, I'm about 75% through the episode. Great stuff. You and Darren Lomberg are a great duo. Thanks for the kind words, Pete, and keep supporting us. And people, check the Middle Class Film Class podcast. They're doing a great job. Anyway, one of the films that both Darren and I brought up was Transformers the Movie. So, inspired by that, we just released special episode 11, where I talk a bit about one scene from that film. So make sure you check those two episodes out. It's been also a very active month as far as guest appearances go. I joined Ed at the Film Effect podcast for two episodes. The first one was a deep dive into Jordan Peele's Us, along with Ed's daughter, Madeline. And the week after that came out, I joined Ed and the gang for one of their fewer cast episodes, where we talk about current events, recommendations, and upcoming films. So make sure you check out Film Effect for those. My friend Frank Mendoza also invited me to his podcast, Silver Screeners, to talk about The Godfather. That one came out just yesterday. Last month I was with Brian Scottle from Sonic Cinema, talking also about The Godfather, and now Frank. So thanks to him for inviting me, because it was a lot of fun. So check Silver Screeners and Sonic Cinema for those. I also recorded two more guest appearances, one for the Defining Disney podcast, and another one for the Jacked Up review show, which will be out soon, so I'll let you all know. To be honest, I'm humbled and honored that so many people have come to me to talk movies. What can I say? I love it, and I've always said that the best thing I've gotten from podcasting is the chance to have great conversations with great people, whether it's here at the Movie Loot or there at the other podcasts I've been at. So thanks to everyone that has tolerated my babbling. So let's talk about April, what we saw in April. But just like we did in January and February, I'm going to start by focusing on one of the films I saw last month. Not necessarily the best, it might be, but most importantly, it's the one that has stuck with me more. And this time we're going to talk about The Heiress from 1949. So let's go. One of the outstanding 
outstanding Broadway stage hits of the decade, The Heiress was adapted from Henry James' penetrating novel of a woman who cast aside all the conventions she lived by to hold the man she wanted. He must come. He must take me away. He must love me. Catherine, you must take hold of yourself. No, no, Morris must take hold of me. Morris will love me for all those who didn't. The Heiress is a 1949 romantic drama from director William Wyler. It was written by Augustus and Ruth Goetz, based on their own play. It follows Catherine Sloper, played by Olivia de Havilland, a naive and shy young woman with poor social skills, an entirely mediocre and defenseless creature with not a shred of poise, says her father, Dr. Austin Sloper, played by Ralph Richardson. He can't help but be disappointed by her and can't help but compare her to his late wife. Only I know what I lost when she died and what I got in her place. Ouch. So, when a young and handsome man, Morris, played by Montgomery Clift, starts courting Catherine, Dr. Sloper is obviously suspicious and assumes he's after her money. Because, of course, how can anybody court her mediocre daughter? This is a film that was strongly recommended by my friends from The Envelope, please. Samuel and Rance were my guests on one of my March episodes, and they spoke very highly of the film and of the Havilland's performance, to the point that both of them put her at number one on the ranking of favorite best actor or actress winners of all time. So when my monthly challenge gave me the opportunity to watch a film from the 1940s, of course I went with it, and what a treat it was. Even though it might sound like a typical romantic drama, there is so much going on under the surface that it pushes the boundaries of the genre. Upon its release, director Weiler said the emotion and conflict between two people in a drawing room can be as exciting as a gun battle, and possibly more exciting. And that's what we get here as we see the savage clashes between Catherine and her father, or her father and Maurice, or Maurice and Catherine. All of those emotional clashes covered under the guise of the so-called elegance and courtesy of the time. We see these clashes in Dr. Sloper's open but still courteous dismissal of Morris, whom he sees as an opportunistic gold digger, but most importantly we see it in the veiled contempt that Dr. Sloper has for Catherine, something that he dishes out in small doses, but those doses are like swift slashes of a dagger gradually tearing away Catherine's confidence. Catherine is condemned to never measure up to her late mother, hence never quote-unquote inherit the title of woman of the house. She's the heiress by birth, but by the end she is the heiress by action. Through the film, Weiler makes great use of the house set, especially the use of mirrors, staircase, doors, to represent how characters perceive themselves or how others see them. For example, at one point, Catherine is wearing one of her mother's dresses, and we see her look at the mirror so anxiously, as if asking herself, can I measure up? Which we know that, in the eyes of her father, she won't. Doors are also used to represent physical and emotional confinement, while staircases are used to represent freedom, ascension, the attainment of a certain state of mind, sense of worth, or inner peace. For example, the iconic final scene when Catherine walks up the stairs as Morris bangs on the door outside is a perfect representation of her ascension, her symbolic bestowing of the role of the lady of the house, the one that calls the shots and won't let anybody else step over her. 
Weiler also uses some clever camera placement. For example, at one point in the first half, we see Morris confess his alleged love to Catherine, but he has his back to the camera and we're focused on Catherine's face. So we can really see Morris' face, Morris' intentions. But in a later scene, the roles reverse and Catherine is giving her back to the camera while we're focused on Morris' face. Because at this point, it is Catherine's intentions that we're not sure of. But even though Weiler's direction is great, the true highlight here are the performances, especially of de Havilland and Richardson. Both are excellent in the roles, de Havilland with one of the greatest shifts character I've seen, but one that feels totally believable and organic, evolving from a shy and innocent woman lacking confidence and emotional strength to one that's willing to be cold to those that hurt her and one that has the strength to make tough decisions. Just pay attention to the way her voice changes as the film progresses to see symbolize how she's gathering confidence. Richardson, on the other hand, does a great job of portraying a man that we could say it's despicable, but he plays it in a way that makes us feel more sorry about him than anything else. Dr. Sloper is not an evil man or a mustache-twirling villain, but a man that's so overcome by grief that he can't help but hurt those close to him. In the original play, it is said that his wife died while giving birth to Catherine, which would explain his attitude towards her. In his eyes, Catherine is just the heiress, the recipient of something that was handed down, but that she probably hasn't earned, and in his eyes never will. By the time the last act occurs, Dr. Sloper is not in the picture anymore, unable to see how her daughter would grow. But the truth is that he was dead to that anyway before, unable to see who she really was. I'm really surprised that this film and this performance doesn't get mentioned more often, but maybe it makes sense being a film about a character that goes along mostly unnoticed, who ends up revealing a strong and confident persona. The heiress might go along unnoticed, but it is truly a showcase of great direction, pitch-perfect writing, and flawless performances. When I tweeted that I was watching this, my friend Frank Mendoza at FilmBuff1974 said, ooh, this is a good one. And my friend Sylvie at Sly underscore Wit said, I adore the heiress. As I've said before, it has the best ending ever. Unfortunately, the heiress is a bit hard to find. It is currently not streaming on any platform, which is a shame for a film so good. But if you ever get a chance to see it, don't hesitate. Because this one gets the recognition of being the loot of the month. But on to the rest of the loot. A film from Senegal. Senegal celebrated its independence in April 4, so I wanted to check a film from there, and I went with 1966 Black Girl, directed by Ousmane Semben. The film follows Diwana, a young Senegalese woman who moves from Senegal to France to work for a French to work for a French elite couple. Diwana, who was working with the couple as a nanny back in Senegal, expects that moving to France will improve her lifestyle and situation. However, she finds herself the subject of harsh treatment from the wife and apathy from the husband, both of which force her to work as a servant. This in turn makes Duana question her decision to move to France. This is a film I had heard mentioned often, and although it wasn't planned, I can see certain parallelisms with the heiress, because in both cases we have two women that are ignored and trapped by the circumstances and conditions around them. In The Heiress, Catherine manages to break free from that confinement, but in Black Girl, Diwana is not as successful. Through his story, the film takes on the effects of colonialism and race relations in Africa and Europe, obviously highlighted by how the European couple treats their African servant. 
The performances are pretty good, but St. Ben's direction is what elevates this with some great use of outdoors and indoors to emphasize Duana's situation both in Senegal and in France. This is definitely a film that I would recommend to any cinephile. Black Girl is currently streaming free on HBO Max and the Criterion Collection, so check it out. Freebies. I also saw a bunch of freebies, films that didn't adhere to any of my monthly challenges, but they were among the best from the month. There were a lot, so I'm gonna breeze through. The first one I want to talk about is 2014's Magical Girl from Spain. This film follows three separate characters, each with different struggles. There is Luis, an unemployed teacher determined to buy an expensive anime dress for her terminally ill daughter. There is Barbara, a mysterious and enigmatic woman who seems to be recovering from something while trapped in a problematic marriage. And finally, we have Damien, a former teacher that seems to be suffering the consequences of letting his instincts take over. Storylines are presented separately but eventually converge in a tragic collision. This was skillfully directed, well acted, and very much recommended. Magical Girl is currently streaming free in Canopy, but it's also available for rent on Apple TV. Then we have 1971's Demons from director Toshio Matsumoto. This one follows Gengobe, a disgraced samurai that's determined to take revenge against the geisha that betrayed him and her husband. It is pretty much a horror film set in the Edo period in Japan. Gengobe is haunted by horrific visions and hallucinations, demons perhaps, that show him things that will be and things that can be. These images fuel his paranoia while at the same time drive him to commit the same horrific actions he's hallucinating of. Great direction and cinematography, neat camera movement, blocking of the scenes, use of light and shadows, the whole gamut. This is another one that's strongly recommended, so if you can find it, check it out. And then we have 2018's Thunder Road, from writer and director Jim Cummings. The film follows Jim Arnaud, played by Cummings himself, a police officer in a small town struggling with a number of issues that include the potential divorce from his wife, the rejections from his young daughter, and the recent death of his mother, which is what the film starts with and sort of frames the events of the film. This project started in 2016 when Cummings directed a short film of the same name, which I also saw. It's just 13 minutes, which end up being the opening 13 minutes of the feature film, but Cummings uses a continuous shot to focus on Jim as he offers an awkward eulogy for his mother to the tune of Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. Like that scene, the whole film is an odd but effective balance of comedy and drama, while also transmitting the feelings that Jim is going through, those of mental instability, anxiety, insecurity, frustration, bottled-up anger, the uneasiness of things unraveling, impotence against circumstances and pretty much not knowing what to do. Thunder Road is streaming free on Hoopla and Canopy, so that's another one you should check out. A film from the They Shoot Pictures Don't They 1000 Greatest Films list whose ranking includes the number 4. Then we have John Carpenter's They Live, a film that I can't believe escaped me back in the 80s. Anyway, it follows a nameless drifter played by Roddy Piper, who stumbles upon an alien conspiracy to manipulate people's thoughts and behaviors through subliminal messages. He realizes this when he finds out some special sunglasses that reveal not only the hidden messages, but the aliens hidden in plain sight behind them. Even though I had some issues with the ending, this was a lot of fun. Still, a lot of people seem to be pissed at my rating, which was 3.5 out of 5. But that's high, what's the problem? Ebony06 said, too low for they live. My friends too at SWO Productions said, maybe a touch too low for they live. And Bale at that old biatch said, dude, they live? Awesome, watch the South Park version of it to accompany it. They got the fight sequence down. So guys, chill, I liked it, so don't worry. 
If you want to see They Live, it is available for rent on Apple TV, Vudu, Redbox, and many other platforms. A film based on a book. National Library Week was celebrated in April, so I wanted to see a film based on a book. And I went with two. One that was pretty good, the other one, uh, not so much. The first one was a rewatch of 1995's Dolores Claiborne, based on a Stephen King novella. The film follows the titular character played by Kathy Bates after she is accused of murdering her wealthy yet elderly employer, Vera. As an obsessive detective sets his eyes on her, Dolores' estranged daughter, Selena, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, reluctantly returns to help her mother. This stirs up memories about the death of Dolores' husband and Selena's father 18 years ago. I hadn't seen this in a while, and even though it is good, I have some issues with the surrounding story of the alleged murder that Dolores is accused of. The stuff between her and Selena is good, though, and both Bates and Jason Lee are great. If you want to check it out, Dolores Claiborne is streaming free on Fubo and Showtime. The other film I checked was 2000's My Dog Skip. Based on a true story, the film follows the friendship between lonely outcast Willie Morris, played by Frankie Muniz, and Skip, the friendly terrier that his mother gives him for his birthday. We get to see Willie's father's struggles, as well as the backdrop of the war, racism, and the effects it has in Willie, Skip, and the community overall. Even though the film's approach is too sappy and melodramatic, it does succeed in highlighting that bond between boy and dog, and it might be a good watch with a young kid. It certainly brought back memories of the dog I had for 12 years when I was younger, so I can say it was successful in that area. My dog Skip is currently streaming free on Hoopla. Freebies. Now for a couple more freebies. I rewatched True Romance from 1993, a film I hadn't seen since the 90s. This one follows Clarence and Alabama Worley, played by Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. He's a loner and she's a prostitute and they get married after meeting one night. But when Clarence tries to settle things with Alabama's pimp, they find themselves on the run from both the mafia and the cops. This film is written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Tony Scott, and you can see both their distinctive trademarks all over, from Tarantino's tense yet cleverly written dialogue to Scott's excessive hyper-violence and slow-motion action scenes. I really enjoyed the Tarantino-esque bits of it more than the uber-violent excesses of Scott, and there seems to be an overload of subplots that seem unnecessary or don't necessarily pay off, but overall this was a fun rewatch held on by the chemistry between Slater and Arkett. If you want to check it out, True Romance is available for rent in most streaming platforms. Then we got 2001's Jason X, which follows our friend Jason Voorhees deep into space and into the year 2455. I'm not going to say much about this because I have an upcoming episode on Friday the 13th, but I'll just say this was dumb fun. My friends too at SWO Productions said I unironically love Jason X. If you want to check it out, Jason X is available for rent on Apple TV, Amazon, Vudu, and many other streaming platforms. A film with a title that starts with the letters G or H. For this category, I went with 2018's Gonjam Haunted Asylum. The film follows the crew of a YouTube channel called Horror Times that decide to explore the Gonjam Psychiatric Hospital in South Korea, a building that was labeled by CNN as one of the seven freakiest places on the planet. So they want to explore it and transmit it live. This is a found footage film, and I could say it's the equivalent of those viral videos that we see on social media where you see security cameras focusing on something only to have a horrifying image suddenly jump in front of the camera. Why? Because it's gimmicky, even if it does make you jump from time to time. Also, nobody in the cast has any discerning quality or characteristic to set them apart. Still, production values are solid, and it does succeed in building a decent atmosphere of dread. Ebony06 said, You reminded me I need to see Gunjam still. LOL. 
So if you want to check it out, it is currently streaming free on Prime, Vudu, Tubi, and Shutter. A film with Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan was born in April 7, so I wanted to check one of his films. I went with 1986 Armor of God, which follows Chan in the role of Asian Hawk, an Indiana Jones-like explorer that goes on a quest through Europe to find a mysterious treasure. This film is notorious for being the one where Chan broke his skull and almost died while performing a stunt in the opening scene. I don't know if this is the case, but after that opening, action scenes feel muted. It plays mostly as a body comedy, but the comedy didn't fully work and the film dragged a bit. Still, the final act did feature some great stunts, so it ended up on a sort of high note. A drama film. For this category, I went with The Secret of Ron Einish from 1994. Directed by John Sayles, it follows Fiona, a young girl that goes to live with her grandparents after the death of her mother. It is there that she learns about the island of Ron Einish, where her family used to live before the war, as well as the mysterious disappearance of her little brother Jamie. This is a family film that, even though it meanders a bit and brushes over some of its own mythology, still manages to be charming and innocent. Definitely another one that could be a good option to watch with the kids. If you want to check it out, The Secret of Ron Einish is streaming free on Roku Channel, Tubi, Canopy, and others. A freebie. To close out the loot, I saw another freebie, Andres Sulowski's Mad Love from 1985. This one follows a group of frenetic bank robbers led by Mickey that stumble upon a mysterious man called Leon. Mickey decides to take him under his wing only to have him fall in love with his girlfriend Marie, played by Sophie Marceau, starting a problematic love triangle. Like the title, this film was mad. There is a frenetic and chaotic energy to it that can certainly be off-putting. I still don't think I understood everything that happened because there's just a focus on that chaotic style, but there's a mesmerizing quality to that. Character movements are both manic and dance-like, and it kind of holds your attention. Even though it was a bit of a challenge and a short to get through, I can see myself revisiting it with a different mindset and see how it plays on a rewatch. Matt Love is streaming exclusively on Canopy. Finally, I also rewatched Us, but you can check out my thoughts on it on the Film Effect podcast, which I mentioned on the opening of this episode. My friend Ethan at BFE underscore Ethan said, Us is such a good flick. Stayed with me for days, and the more I thought about it, the more I fell in love with it. Get Out is probably a better film, but dissecting Us is so much fun. And Ivani06 said, The fact that people give us a 5-star rating hurts my soul, but to each their own, lol. Well, Bunny, I'm sorry to hurt your soul, but that's the way it is. And I also rewatched Star Wars, the original, this time with the kids to prepare for my next episode, so I'll save my thoughts for that one. I also happened to see two short films. One was called Four from 2021, which follows Ross, a man going through grief, which is where the title comes from, the fourth stage of grief, which is depression. And I also saw One Earth, a very short short that features many shots of the Earth and how it goes from the beauty of nature to the bustle of metropolitan cities and finally the pollution that hurts the planet. It was gorgeous and very brief. I think it's around five minutes, so check it out. So that was my April loot. If you like classic dramas or great films, period, check The Heiress. But also make sure you check out other films like Black Girl, Magical Girl, Demons, Thunder Road, and They Live. My friend Tyler at A Film Addicted wrote to me, I seemingly like Black Girl, They Live, Jason X, and Thunder Road a great deal more than you did. I don't know, I like all of those a lot, which is why I mentioned them first. They're all definitely worth a watch, and if you do watch any of them, let us know what you think on our Twitter at TiffCGT or at TMML2021. Now that May has begun, this is what I will try to watch this month. A film with the number 5 in the title, 
a film that starts with the letters I or J, a film from the They Shoot Pictures Don't They 1000 Greatest Pictures list, whose ranking includes the number five, a film from the 1950s, a fantasy film, a film about mothers, a film mostly set on a train, a film with the name of a bird in its title, a film from Ecuador, and a film from Frank Capra. So that was it for the movie loot. As usual, we want to thank everybody for listening. Remember that we're available in all the main podcasting platforms, so feel free to share the link so more people can join the loot. That would be all for today. Now, Maria, bolt it. Bolt it? Bolt the door, Maria. Yes, miss. Catherine! Catherine! Catherine!